I am your father. This is a Brandon Colby Jacobs from Facebook exclusive. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Touche, my nigga. Touche. Yo, what it do, what it is, man. It's your boy, Brandon Kobe Jacobson. You are listening to the Established 1984 podcast, man. And what I want to do today is first and foremost, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you for all of your continued love and support and the encouragement for the podcast. It has been an amazing ride so far, and I'm excited to continue doing great work. That being said, there's something that's really on my heart that above any hip hop artist or hip hop influencer that I could get on the podcast today, um, there was something that was on my heart that I just wanted to get off. Um, a few days ago, uh, Barack Obama had his farewell speech and I listened to the farewell speech. And after that, I, I wrote a, a letter, a note, a poem, a spoken word piece, whatever you want to call it. Um, just kind of encapsulating my feelings uh, for him and for his presidency um, and just to, to kind of give some perspective on on from the, the lens of somebody who got to meet him a long time ago. Um, how I view him now all this time later. Um, so I hope you guys like it. I hope you guys get some perspective, but before I do that, I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of his, uh, farewell speech just to kind of give some perspective on, uh, on exactly where, uh, where this piece comes from and, and why I was motivated to write it. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it off to the 44th president of the United States, president Barack Obama in his farewell speech. Regardless of party, should be throwing ourselves into the task of rebuilding our democratic institutions. When voting rates in America are some of the lowest among advanced democracies, we should be making it easier, not harder, to vote. When, when trust in our institutions is low, we should reduce the corrosive influence of money in our politics and insist on the principles of transparency and ethics in public service. When Congress is dysfunctional, we should draw our congressional districts to encourage politicians to cater to common sense and not rigid extremes. But remember, none of this happens on its own. All of this depends on our participation, on each of us accepting the responsibility of citizenship, regardless of which way the pendulum of power happens to be swinging. Our Constitution is a remarkable, beautiful gift. But it's really just a piece of parchment. It has no power on its own. We, the people, give it power. We, the people, give it meaning with our participation and with the choices that we make. 
and the alliances that we forge, whether or not we stand up for our freedoms, whether or not we respect and enforce the rule of law, that's up to us. America is no fragile thing, but the gains of our long journey to freedom are not assured. In his own farewell address, George Washington wrote that self-government is the underpinning of our safety, prosperity, and liberty. But from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth. And so we have to preserve this truth with jealous anxiety that we should reject the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest or to enfeeble the sacred ties that make us one. America, we weaken those ties when we allow our political dialogue to become so corrosive that people of good character aren't even willing to enter into public service. So coarse with rancor that Americans with whom we disagree are seen not just as misguided but as malevolent. We weaken those ties when we define some of us as more American than others when we write off the whole system as inevitably corrupt, and when we sit back and blame the leaders we elect without examining our own role in electing them. It falls to each of us to be those anxious, jealous guardians of our democracy, to embrace the joyous task we've been given, to continually try to improve this great nation of ours. Because for all our outward differences, we in fact all share the same proud title, the most important office in a democracy citizen. Citizen. So you see, that's what our democracy demands. It needs you. Not just when there's an election, not just when your own narrow interest is at stake, but over the full span of a lifetime. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the Internet, try talking with one of them in real life. If something needs fixing, then lace up your shoes and do some organizing. If you're disappointed by your elected officials, grab a clipboard, get some signatures, and run for office yourself. 
show up. Dive in. Stay at it. Sometimes you'll win. Sometimes you'll lose. Presuming a reservoir of goodness in other people, that can be a risk. And there will be times when the process will disappoint you. But for those of us fortunate enough to have been part of this work and to see it up close, let me tell you, it can energize and inspire. And more often than not, your faith in America and in Americans will be confirmed. Mine sure has been. Over the course of these eight years, I've seen the hopeful faces of young graduates and our newest military officers. I have mourned with grieving families, searching for answers, and found grace in Charleston Church. I've seen our scientists help a paralyzed man regain his sense of touch. I've seen wounded warriors who, at points, were given up for dead walk again. I've seen our doctors and volunteers rebuild after earthquakes and stop pandemics in their tracks. I've seen the youngest of children remind us through their actions and through their generosity of our obligations to care for refugees or work for peace and, above all, to look out for each other. So that faith that I placed all those years ago, not far from here, in the power of ordinary Americans to bring about change, that faith has been rewarded in ways I could not have possibly imagined. And I hope your faith has, too. Some of you here tonight or watching at home you were there with us in 2004, in 2008, 2012. Maybe you still can't believe we pulled this whole thing off. Let me tell you, you're not the only ones. Politics and thereby politicians often operate above the fray, in a place that is inherently different, and often villainously motivated through agenda-driven rhetoric that can only be described as Machiavellian in its presentation. The perpetuation and ultimate manipulation of the masses is unquestionably consistent throughout not just American history, but human history. Think about it. The manipulation of the masses by those who would be our leaders transcends race and pivots itself on an innate concept that humans, if allowed to, will prefer to be led rather than lead. It is a fundamental construct that has led to fascism, racism, xenophobia, and has created a world run by billionaires and so on. Kings and queens did not exist because they somehow had some sort of intellectual capacity that others lacked. They were simply willing to do, be that for the good of people or themselves, more than the masses in an effort to sustain their position. We the people. Hmm. Funny how that rings true. 
because we the people, both of sound mind and body, have notoriously exceeded our own expectations and in the very same breath managed to be caught asleep at the wheel. You ask me why I voted for Obama twice? That's a loaded question. It's layered in a profound sense of complexities I don't think until this very moment I even took time to ponder. You see, on the surface, of course, I wanted someone who looked like me, who at some point felt the way I had felt when a non-minority cast their eyes down to the floor, clutched their belongings, and wrapped themselves in a false sense of unnecessary security because only black males were their frame of reference as it related to criminal projections on TV. So yes, was there a level of comfort in finally having someone who on some basic level could relate to a plight that I would never be able to escape because I can't make myself not black? Of course there was. But then there was also 2004. When I got a phone call from a friend, hey, yo, boss, you might want to come up to the school. There's some senator out here. And sure enough, there he was. When I pulled up in my Kia Spectra, there he was. <laughs> sure enough, there was a black senator on the basketball court taking a few shots with a few fellow college students. No security, no political signs. He was just there. He shot the shit with us for about 45 minutes and then said something to me that always stuck with me. Yeah, I know it's hard to be great in the face of adversity. And yeah, I know you'll have challenges that others who don't look like you won't have. But ultimately, all you can do and what is rightfully expected of you is to transcend your circumstances and even those assumptions that people will place on you. Because when you're exceptional, even if recognition doesn't come in your lifetime, inevitably, the results of your works will be recognized. Four years later, that man would be president of the United States. Now, I'm not here to excuse Obama's shortcomings or blindly sidestep those shortcomings of him as a leader. But I look at Obama with the same expectations I have of anyone else. Just be a person of character, accountability, with a clear sense of self, and the rest will generally work itself out. What I appreciate about Obama is that I've always known that he cared about what happened to people who looked like me. I was never bogged down with this expectation that Obama failed because he didn't come in and address all the black issues. I simply was not one of those black people who felt like he lacked some sort of obligation to grant reparations, be this boisterous black voice of black issues, or operate as the representation of the judicial branch when they failed us time and time again in the shootings of unarmed black men and women by police officers. What I believed, what I hold for is for us to be inspired and in that, be even more willing to be engaged, to protest, to stand on the front lines, with true agenda-driven issues, but alas, but alas. So today, I've watched my president address the nation for the last time, and it was an odd feeling. I felt the same intrigue I felt in 2004 when I met him. I felt hopeful like I did in 2008. I felt confident like I did in 2012. And yes, I felt fear like I felt on that cold day in November of 2016. What I know now is something that President Obama taught me 12 years ago on the edge of a basketball court with the sleeves rolled up, talking to a bunch of guys who had no idea who they were in the presence of. It's hard 
to be great in the face of adversity. I suppose much like the hope he asked me to have in him, I have to have hope in my willingness to overcome. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. President, for everything you poured into me. Thank you for believing in me, for making me believe. Thank you for that hope. We will take it from here, sir. You've done more than your fair share. Thanks, Obama. I wanted to share that with you guys. And what I also would just want to express is I recognize the fact that, uh, you know, we have some international issues that some people aren't happy with how Obama handled things abroad. Um, there are conversations that will be had about drone strikes. There will be conversations about the economy. There will be conversations about uh, social issues, his willingness to be actively involved and engaged in the way that some people think are appropriate. And to all of that, I say those feelings that you have about Obama, I just hope that you had them about everyone else that you voted for from the top to the bottom from the past to the present, all of those governors that you did or didn't vote for, all of those superintendents that you did or didn't vote for, all of those mayors that you did or didn't vote for, who realistically have a more direct impact on your life. I hope that you held them to the same standards that you hold Obama to when you get real fast with your Twitter fingers. So. I'm not say, here to tell you whether or not it's right to cast judgment if you've done your due diligence to be active socially and politically. But if you haven't, if all you had is just this opportunity to complain about what he didn't do when there are an abundance of things that you haven't done, when you you can't rationally compartmentalize which you have to in that role um some of the horrendous things that will go on in a role like that some decisions that will be made some things that you will green light based on a, a security briefing and not much else and sometimes that security briefing could be wrong um i hope that you can recognize all of those things when you decide to cast judgment on him and define the character of the man by some decisions that he had to make politically. Once again, I've I've been uh I've faced some of the same issues as far as being pressed on where I stand as it relates to Obama, because immediately they'll say something like, "Well, what about the drone strikes in the Middle East that killed kids?" You think that I want children to die? No. But but to that question, I ask, how did you feel when George Bush? Sent all of those Army, Navy, Marine, Special Forces people over to the Middle East to su to secure it. And in turn, there were young young children that were killed there, too. So I, I think it's safe to say that we all don't agree with uh, the murder of of helpless and unarmed children. I think that goes without saying. I think when people say that, that's just a means to get you to shut up uh, about uh, about saying that you like or dislike somebody. So I, I honestly believe that at my at the core of who Barack Obama is, he's a good man. I, I believe that he meant well for for our society. I mean, I believe he meant well for black people, despite the fact that some black people may not feel that way. 
um, you know, you get those black people, those black people who are so woke that they're asleep, that that love to tell you about what Obama didn't do. And when you ask them for sources, they say, well, it's stay woke. Obama didn't do nothing for black dot org. And, and man, if you read this site, it gives you all this insight on all the stuff that that Barack could have been doing. Barack ain't do nothing for us. Oh, he didn't. That wasn't Barack at, at the anniversary of Selma. That wasn't that wasn't Barack at that at that funeral. Um, Barack didn't weep for the loss of of unarmed uh, of unarmed black people. That wasn't Barack who was the first sitting president to uh, to walk into a uh, walk into a prison and speak to prisoners about uh, you know. The, the the disproportionate balance in sentencing of uh of drug offenses that that wasn't that black man look I, I i recognize there are tons of things that barack obama could have done there are tons of things that george w bush could have done there are tons of things that george herbert walker bush could have done there are tons of things that bill clinton could have done the things that they did and or didn't do while they sat in a seat that none of us can really relate to, except for 43 other men. <laughs> um, I just think that you kind of got to put all of this into perspective and you have to hold yourself accountable. Barack Obama said something very interesting that I um, that I think is important. Um, he said. If you want to change the world, if you want to be motivated, you know, some of us got to get out there with a clipboard and start making a difference ourselves. We have to hold ourselves equally as accountable as those that we either vote into office or in our silence allow to seep into office. Reality is, for some of us, we got caught sleep at the wheel in November, and that's a shame. But this isn't the end for us. And if we push back, if we make a conscious decision to be active, we can survive these circumstances of the next four years. But it's up to us. It's up to us to push on those congressmen, those senators, um, you know, those mayors, those governors. It's our responsibility to push against those people and make our communities active and unify our voice. In an attempt to make our agenda something that they concern themselves with as they have to go up for re-election. That's just a matter of a fact. But what we also have to do, even in doing that, we have to have something to ask for. So often, black people come and say, we need to be treated better. Y'all need to stop this. this. This ain't right. With no specific um, concerns to address, no no real legislation that we're desiring to be put in place to ensure that we're treated better. So that's my little two cents. Once again, I'm not one of those people who hates Barack Obama. Voted for him twice, as I've said before. Um, I've also had the the pleasure, despite some black folks who probably are going to feel differently about this. I've had the pleasure of meeting George Bush Jr. And I, I found him to be a terribly engaging man, perhaps 
not the man that should be president of the United States, but a terribly engaging, sweet man. Um, he was kind enough to be candid with me and and express that he didn't understand all of uh, the desires and the needs of the of the minority community because it wasn't from his point of reference. But he said he was willing to try. This was 2004, same year that I met Obama. Um, I met Kerry that same year, too. Um, so, you know, anytime you try to judge these guys and define what their legacy is, just be mindful of how massive the role is and the responsibility and the amount of time that sometimes you have to make a decision relative to the information that you have. So best of luck to you, President Obama. Uh, I support whatever you're going to be doing in the future. And I, I hope that you remain engaged and interested in our concerns. And I, I, I have no doubt that we will see you very active in the very near future. So y'all know who I am, Brandon Kobe Jacobs. You can reach me at Brandon Kobe Jacobs at gmail.com. You can reach me on Instagram at Brandon Kobe Jacobs. You can reach me on Snapchat at BKJEST1984. You are listening to the Established 1984 podcast. Take care. Let me tell you, this generation coming up, unselfish, altruistic, creative, patriotic. I've seen you in every corner of the country. You believe in a fair and just and inclusive America. You know that constant change has been America's hallmark, that it's not something to fear, but something to embrace. You are willing to carry this hard work of democracy forward. You'll soon outnumber all of us, and I believe as a result, the future is in good hands. My fellow Americans, it has been the honor of my life to serve you. I won't stop. In fact, I will be right there with you as a citizen for all my remaining days. But for now, whether you are young or whether you're young at heart, I do have one final ask of you as your president. The same thing I asked when you took a chance on me eight years ago. I am asking you to believe, not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. I am asking you to hold fast to that faith written into our founding documents, that idea whispered by slaves and abolitionists, that spirit sung by immigrants and homesteaders and those who marched for justice, that creed reaffirmed by those who planted flags from foreign battlefields to the surface of the moon, a creed at the core of every American whose story is not yet written. Yes, we can.